We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. This past week, the gavel was passed virtually, and the leadership of the venerable Chicago Bar Association was handed over. And the new president is as unique as the ceremony at which she was sworn in. This weekend, we get to know attorney Mariam Ahmad. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. Mariam Ahmad is the 147th president of the Chicago Bar Association. Because of COVID-19, the association's annual luncheon was held online. And with something that could really only be done that way, the electronic simulation of a gavel passed along through more than 20 past CBA presidents and put into Ms. Aman's hands. We're going to talk about what happens next and why this legal leader is taking charge at just the time when her life experience seems most needed. Mariam Ahmad is the current chief of the Juvenile Justice Bureau of the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. She's been a Cook County judge, a public defender, an administrator, a legal advocate, and in private practice. And now she heads an organization of some 18,000 lawyers in Cook County and around the state. We are practicing social distancing, so this interview is being conducted via Zoom conferencing. And Mariam Ahmad, welcome. Thank you, Craig. It's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you for having me. No, thank you, really. Uh, you know, often when I interview someone at the top of a century-old organization, I have to say the first African-American or the first Latina. This, I think, says a lot about the Chicago Bar Association. I'm not sure you're the first anything. Uh, you're not the first African-American president. You're not the first wom woman. You're not the first black woman, although you are the third. What has the CBA been doing right all these years? So the Chicago Bar Association was founded in 1837. And so during that time, it's tracked the United States in terms of its development and evolution. And so in terms of what the Chicago Bar Association has been doing correct, it's acknowledging the change in the legal profession from 1837 until present day, 2020. Well, you're, uh, you know, well, first off, I should ask you, uh, I can't imagine that you expected that you would be leading this group during one of the most challenging years ever. I mean, does it give you a butterflies or, uh, or resolve? What, what's, how do you face this kind of a situation? Um, Craig, I am a woman of faith first and foremost. 
and I believe uh, in a higher power with a higher plan. And there's uh, an expression that goes something like, uh, one has been prepared for a time such as this. So who knew two years ago when I was elected second vice president, knowing that I would assume um, the position of president two years later, that this would be the state of affairs of um, our nation, our legal profession. But I firmly believe that the Lord has prepared me for a time such as this. And my background is very much compatible to handle the issues and the challenges, not only of the Bar Association, but to guide the CBA in tackling some of the issues that we are dealing with, not only uh, in the city, not only in the state, but nationally. And we're gonna talk about some of those issues in this half hour, but I first wanna talk a little bit about you. You are not a Chicago native, so tell me a little bit about how you ended up here and in the legal profession. I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, which is very similar to Chicago. The time when I lived there, and even now, Dayton was one of America's most segregated cities. I lived on the west side of town where most, if not all, of the black people were relegated. And when I say relegated, I use that word intentionally from redlining and uh, inferior loans and the uh, vestiges of Jim Crow. That's where the uh, African-American population um, could make a, could eke out a living, if you will. And so when I grew up, it was in, in initially in predominantly segregated schools until court ordered desegregation in 1975. And so um, I grew up in a period of time when I was observing um, in the late 1960s, in the mid to early uh, 1970s and late 1970s, all the challenges that the nation was faced, many of which we are still facing now. So I've had a lifetime to deal with a lot of the issues that we are confronting. Um, did the experiences of having to go through the segregation, um, did that start to inspire you to deal with the law? Uh, or did it come from your, your, your family? So, um, no, it didn't come from my family and going through segregation did not inspire me to become the law or, or to uh, take a role in the law. You asked me initially about my background and what brought me to Chicago. I came to Chicago in 1995. When I arrived, I'm, I'm sorry, in 1991. When I arrived in Chicago, I was an assistant dean at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. And I was hired into that position um, after they had student unrest because I, a student had painted a disparaging portrait of Mayor Harold Washington. And I'm sure you remember. I do, I covered that. And the museum almost lost its funding, if you recall. And one of the promises that the, muse the museum and the school made to the state was that it would increase its um, staff of color and African-American faculty hiring. And so I was hired into the first assistant dean of multicultural affairs and affirmative action position, <clears throat> excuse me, at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Mm. That's how I ended up in Chicago. 
Well, and I'm sure Chicago is, uh, is glad you ended up here. Let's talk about the way you see the Chicago Bar Association and, and the part that it should play today. I mean, your vision for it. So attorneys have always been at the forefront of major societal change. And I believe that the Chicago Bar Association has a pivotal role in um, shepherding our city and our county through a lot of the issues that we are confronting now. Um, the issues all related to COVID-19 and the pandemic, all the issues related to racial inequities, the disparities that exist due to racism and the legacy of Jim Crow and Plessy v. Ferguson, all of that. And so I'm asking our membership to do three to do three things. One, to focus on Chicago, the name, um, our, 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 the, the city whose name our organization bears. Uh, and when I say focus on Chicago, that means that wherever we are, whether you work or live in Chicago, make a difference as an attorney in your corner of the world in Chicago by using your legal talent, skills, and ability. Secondly, focus on the bar. And when I say the bar, I mean the legal profession broadly. So uh, not only should lawyers try to enhance their skills and talents now, because our profession is changing as a result of the pandemic, and just being virtual and all the challenges being virtual uh, um, creates. So develop yourselves as lawyers, but also take a moment and develop somebody else along the way. The legal profession is an apprentice possess, uh, profession. And we all grow when we grow new talent. And I'm challenging our members to invest in up and coming lawyers to help them thrive and, and, and enhance their uh, skills and abilities. And finally, I'm asking our attorneys to focus on the concept of association. Um, if the pandemic has taught us anything, it's the importance of relationships and not just relationships of people who, who look the same, who come from the same neighborhood or work in the same practice area. I'm talking about reaching out across diverse lines and uh, developing relationships, uh, personal, professional, with people who don't look like you, who don't come from your background, who don't come from your circumstances. So it's very easy. Chicago, the Bar Association, CBA, it makes it easy. <laughs> I just caught that, yes. Thank, but, but this is a time when not everyone sees lawyers as part of the solution. Um, you know, even some of the demonstrators will look at court cases out there and see, you would, first off, you see lawyers on both sides, even in the most controversial issues. And I think a lot, a lot of people kind of shrug and say, oh, they're hired guns. How do lawyers regain and maintain the high ground in these kinds of times where there's so much distrust of systems and government? I'm going to point out something to you. When people are at their darkest moments or in the deepest trouble of their lives, who do they turn to? Turn to a lawyer. That's where we are now as a country. And that's why I am saying lawyers have the ability to move the ball forward. So let's just take a look at systemic racism. 
whether it's attacking redlining, whether it's attacking an inequitable system of education, whether it's attacking unequal access to health care, lawyers possess the tools to do that. And what I'm saying to my colleagues is, hey, we got to step up and we have to start making a difference. We have this skill set that can materially impact our fellow man. And we have an obligation not to sit on our hands, not to sit in a corner and wring our hands. We have to bring our toolbox to the scene. We have to show up and we have to open up that toolbox, pull out the tools and get to work. That's what I'm telling. But if you go into court to try to right some of the injustice that we all see, there's going to be a lawyer on the other side trying Absolutely. to keep you from doing that. And Absolutely. I think that's what frustrates people sometimes is they say, so it's whoever has the money to hire the most talented lawyer ends up winning, which isn't always the case, but. It's not always the case. I mean, we have recent decisions that bear that out. The recent successes with us in, in front of the Supreme Court. Let me say this, of course you're going to have people representing the other side. That's our constitutional government. And first and foremost, lawyers take an oath to defend the constitution and to represent their client zealously. But that doesn't mean that you don't show up. That doesn't mean you don't fight the fight. That doesn't mean you stand by and watch inequity. Not everybody has the role of defending the status quo. Some do, legitimately so. Because you know what? Under our Constitution, those individuals who have um, beliefs and, um, and hold principles different than my own, they have a constitutional right to be represented. I respect that, but I also have a constitutional right to fight against it. And so do all of us. And we have an obligation to show up and do that. That's what I'm saying. Now you represent all kinds of lawyers. Uh, I mean, you yourself, you're in a, a prosecutor's office. There are others who are defensive, public defenders. You, I mean, it's the whole gamut, corporate lawyers. Are there, do there occasionally develop differences among the types of lawyers? I mean, how do you keep the organization moving forward on efforts like um, broaden, you know, fighting inequity uh, when you do have such a wide swath of, uh, of attorneys that you have to all represent? So that's, that's actually a great question to ask someone like me, who's been a public defender, who's been a state's attorney and a judge. Um, I can tell you when I worked as a line prosecutor, meaning a prosecutor who's in the courtroom day in and day out, there are attorneys, defense attorneys, we would have knocked down, drag out fights, metaphorically. I mean, we would show up, it was a battle, it was a full on war. But at the end of the day, you sh if, I, if I lose, I'm gonna shake your hand, congratulate you and keep it moving, on to the next one. The same with the defense bar for the most part, very much that way. Because as lawyers, as individual lawyers, we all take an oath to defend our client zealously. Anything less would be uncivilized. So we have that obligation to do that. But after that fight is over in the courtroom, there's still a professional uh, decorum, professionalism, relationships developed, because we all respect what we're called upon to do, defend and protect the edicts of our United States Constitution and our state constitution. And that state constitution says to a defense attorney, you have to bring everything to bear, every resource to bear 
to fight against, to, to defend this person charged with a criminal offense. It says to the state prosecutor, you have to bring every resource to bear to seek justice on behalf of the people and on behalf of the wounded. Once that's done, you continue to advance the work of the people, which is in respect and according to the guidelines articulated in the Constitution. You're listening to News Radio 780's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. We're talking via Zoom conferencing with Maria Mamad. She's the newly installed president of the Chicago Bar Association. And I want to talk about uh, a couple of the things that you talked about in your remarks to the CBA after you were handed that gavel. Um, you specifically talked about access to legal services, which is something that many uh, people in, in less affluent neighborhoods really never have. And how can the bar uh, help alleviate that? Most of the people, and, and in my address, I talked about how the South and West Side, as an example, have been under-resourced for decades. And so part of our obligation as lawyers is to go to the people who need the services. Often, most of the legal community, not all of it, but a good portion of it is in the loop. Many people don't have access to the loop. And so what, what we have to do more of is bringing programs and services to the people in need. And look, may I give you an example? Please. So the Chicago Bar Association partnered with the Cook County Public Defender, the Illinois Secretary of State, uh, Gamaleo, uh, 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 which is a, a Latino social service organization, Pilsen Neighbors. Um, we partnered with the city of Chicago and Malcolm X College and offered a driver's license reinstatement program. We've done two of them where we all worked together. The state's attorney was also a partner in that where we work together with lawyers in a community to assist residents pro bono in figuring out why their driver's licenses are suspended or revoked and helping them go through the steps of getting those licenses reinstated. You know, um, most of us, uh, that driver's license is not only an identification, but it's, um, it's necessary for freedom, freedom of movement. And so it's a valuable commodity in under-resourced communities. And so instead of saying to the citizens, hey, you all come downtown and uh, yeah, we'll catch you in our break, we um, asked Judge Evans, Judge Timothy Evans, Chief Judge of the Court, to declare, initially it was Benito Juarez High School in Pilsen, and then the second time it was Malcolm X College. Judge Evans declared those locations Cook County courthouses for the day so that we could conduct court in those communities. That's what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, you also, uh, you know, you were talking about urging lawyers to transform other lawyers. Now, I know that goes back to what you were saying about bringing the young lawyers along. Is it also about transforming their awareness? Absolutely. Of Absolutely, expanding their horizons. And, and so 
when you, tr the transformation is not only through education and mentoring, it's through what I was saying about the necessity to have diverse relationships, meaning the association part of CBA. That A stands for association. And when I say to bring other people along and to have diverse relationships, the reason why that's necessary is most of us have grown up in a segregated world, even now, very segregated. And, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, when I was out marching the last couple of weeks, I was really heartened by the, the diverse crowds that were out protesting um, uh, these historical disparities, protesting against police brutality, and, and demanding uh, societal change. I remember, Craig, 20 years ago being out on the street marching, and it was a lot of African-American people, and that was it. And so I see now more than ever how much diverse relationships matter and, and really want to speak to that issue to help my colleagues realize the importance too. Now, and let's go a little bit further on that because now we're in a time where the issues of healthcare inequities when we're talking about COVID-19 and how African-American Latinx communities are much harder hit than anywhere else. We're talking about the, the problems of police uh, over, over uh, patrolling and police mm -hmm. violence, but also we're looking at violence, you know, from the other side where some people within these protesting groups may have other intentions. How do lawyers, how does the Bar Association fit into that atmosphere? I mean, what can you be doing besides protesting that could make a difference? Again, using our legal skills. And let's just start with what you just said. We have to disaggregate these issues. It's so easy to conflate them all, right? Mm -hmm. So we have to disaggregate and go issue by issue. I'll tell you one thing. All of this, all of these issues, whether it's the healthcare disparities that you mentioned or the um, uh, disparate policing uh, in certain communities, the police brutality, um, the devastation, um, economic devastation that happened after the George Floyd um, uh, murder, it's all tied to 1619. 1619, as in the sl in slavery, right? right? And so, and everything that happened from that moment on. And what we have to do is go system by system and attack each issue. Um, it's very easy when you conflate and aggregate everything to say, oh, this is so overwhelming. So when I say issue by issue, here's what I mean. Address um, redlining, address the issues all involved in inadequate health care, um, the uh, inequities that exist uh, in uh, financial loans to community. Why is it that in, in, in my community, I live at, on the border of Park Manor and Chatham, it's so much more difficult to get uh, a business loan or a home loan in some other areas. That's still a reality. Okay, that's something lawyers can challenge and attack. Um, why is it that um, African-Americans and, and uh, uh, Latinx people 
are turned away from medical care, can't get medical care, can't access it. That's something we have to work and challenge individually. Why is it that our school system is tied to an income tax base that has disparity built in? That has to be dealt with. So we have to deal with all of these. And I just want to say something else. When we talk about the, the slogan, Black Lives Matter, a lot of people associate that with police brutality. It's all of what we're talking. When we say Black Lives Matter, we're talking about all of this. Everything associated with 1619 and the uh, need to remedy these historic disparities. Because if we don't, we're going to be in the same place two years from now five years from now, whenever the next George Floyd happens. And we want to avoid that. We have a part in fixing this. We, we accept that and we want to. We want to be a part of the solution. What can everyday people who may only have, you know, their encounters with, uh, with the legal profession are rare, uh, unless, you know, something bad is happening. Mm -hmm. um, what can everyday people do to become more comfortable with, uh, with utilizing lawyers for something other than just getting yourself out of trouble um, and, and working on these issues such as healthcare, as redlining and the like? The burden, I wanna flip that because okay. the burden isn't on the people to get more comfortable. The burden is on us to be more comfortable going to the people. Mm. And now, what kind of response are you getting from, I mean, they've, they've, they've known you for a few years. Obviously, they, they, no. they, believe, they believe in you or you wouldn't be in the position you're in. How are they responding to those kinds of calls? So I have found from the time I was second vice president to now, and I was just sworn in, as you know, yesterday, but the, the issues I'm addressing, I've been talking about consistently and um, uh, helping the CBA develop programming within the community. I am always heartened when our members continually say, what can I do? When we did the last driver's license reinstatement program, I had over 150 attorneys show up to help. And when they finished, they said, when can we come back? But for the pandemic, we would have had another uh, reinstatement expo. There are so many attorneys who want to be involved. They, they just want direction. Tell me what I need to do. Um, tell me what I can do to help. And we need to, to take those interested individuals and bring them into the community. And that's what I hope to do more of to create these vehicles for these talented people to work with those who could really benefit from their skills. And we've only got a couple of minutes more, but I want to ask, is there, are there things that the CBA wants to see either from Chicago government or from Springfield that uh, can help with the, with the profession and the mission? Uh, I'll say it in general. And it's something we know, but it's something that needs to be continually said. And that's investment in our communities. Um, our communities need resources, um, educational resources, healthcare resources, economic resources. Um, progress, as, as they say on the street, pro progress ain't free. 
and it ain't cheap. But in the long term, what you're doing is you are creating a talent pool of individuals that can materially transform our nation. When I look at Inglewood, I see underdeveloped talent. When I look at Roseland, I see underdeveloped talent. We could have the next uh, scientist who could cure cancer sitting in Inglewood who's, who's not able to reach his or her potential because of lack of educational access and opportunity. So without these resources, we're not going anywhere. That's and what I would say. I have to think that you're heartened that but for COVID-19, um, Mayor Lightfoot was concentrating on that kind of investment. And I think some of the things that she was doing got interrupted by that. But are you encouraged that people are Absolutely. talking about it? Absolutely. I'll tell you this. So this. These are just observations I've made over my entire professional career. Um, crime rate in economically profitable communities is extremely low compared to impoverished communities. So doesn't it make sense to raise the economic and educational level of the impoverished community? Because when you fix that, it'll bring the crime rate down. And I'm gonna stop you there because believe it or not, we have run out of time. This has been one of the faster half hours I've gone through. Thank you. That is Maria Mahmoud, president of the Chicago Bar Association. Thank you so much for spending time Thank with us. Thank you so much, Craig. I really appreciate it. To our listeners, if you want a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. Just follow the podcast links. You can also find our podcast on radio.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.